I am thrilled to introduce tonight's guest. Seth Crossnow is a local media personality and blogger right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. His website, ITB Insider, covers all the latest real estate transactions, business openings, and everything inside the Beltway of Raleigh. Uh, and I got to say, it's a must read if you're local here. You know him online as the fictional character William Needham Finley IV on Twitter with the iconic WNFIV handle. And that's where uh, I think I first came across you um, when you were live tweeting inside uh, of a locked airport inside the Bahamas back in the spring of 2017. So uh, right now you can catch Seth starring in both of the competing Fire Festival documentaries on Netflix and Hulu. And soon you'll be hearing from him on his own forthcoming podcast, Dumpster Fire. Seth, thanks for joining us here on the Dance Megamix. Thanks for having me. So there's so many layers to this onion. This is such a crazy story. Just tell me, how, you, how did you hear about the Fire Festival to begin with? A friend of mine um, called me up in December of 2016, and it was right after I had uh, left my job to try to do blogging and the whole media, quote-unquote, media empire full-time. And he said, I just saw this trip. It's like Coachella, but in the Bahamas. It's the first year they're doing it. It's going to be great, and it's only like $1,000. This is how these things start. The first year's cheap, and it's like you get in now, and like who knows who's going to be there, and it's going to be this crazy thing. And it's not really my scene, but uh, my friend's a hard guy to say no to. And so he talked me into it, and he was saying, you know, just go and like write about it, you know, cover it. And like, this is something William Needham Finley would go to. And so I thought, you know, I, I could kind of do the whole like, I'm trying to become an influencer storyline and that might be funny. So I decided that, that that's what I would do. And we got tickets and um, that was in kind of mid to late December, right when the, the big, you know, promo video came out. And, um, yeah, we just thought it would be part vacation, but also kind of something I could write about and maybe, um, you know, it, it would be a funny situation. We had no idea it would turn into what it did. So you had never been to a festival before. This is a first time thing for you? I think I went to, I did go to Bonnaroo when I was like in college, but the, you know, after that I was like, these are not really my thing. Um <laughs> So, but he'd, he'd gone, my friend had gone to Coachella and he's a big music guy. And so, uh, he was really pushing me on it. And, um, uh, and you know, we, we figured we'd go check it out. So for those people who don't know your online persona, uh, William Needham Finley, the fourth, which is like the most Raleigh name I've ever heard. I, I love it. <laughs> um, you know, like tell people, give people an idea of like what, it, how much of your decision to go to fire was based on your interests versus this character. It was probably 80% William Needham Finley IV will look, um, I don't want to say cool in this situation, because my hope was that it would it would really, you know, be what it lived up to be, and everyone would go, why are you there? Like, <laughs> you have 4,000 followers on Twitter, you're this, like, Raleigh guy, what are you doing? And, and I just thought it would be kind of uh, a funny situation. Um, so probably like 80% and then, you know, 20% of this, this looks kind of cool. And four nights in the Bahamas, um, you know, seemed fun for, for at the time it was, you know, thousand dollars. So like, it's kind of a, a good deal. So, and 
so well, we'll get back to the thousand dollars thing later. Um, so you know, on this show, we talk a little bit about music festivals, and I'm, I try to pay an homage to dance music culture and the original disco DJs and all that stuff. So I'm, I have a, I love ranting about stuff. I, I have a particular bone to pick with festivals in general. <laughs> they, uh, they kind of drive me bananas when it comes to dance music. I don't, like things like Bonnaroo, I think are great, but um, people on the sh- who have listened to the show before know um, EDM festivals are, are really not my thing, but. Um, were there any like performers there that you were excited about or that you got the feeling were like going to make the difference in this festival? Or was it really more about the kind of like lifestyle, like overall brand experience? Uh, it was sort of the, the lifestyle thing that I'd wanted to kind of to, to sort of write about because I'd noticed on Instagram just this rise of people saying I'm an influencer. And I wanted to know how these people went from – you know, 10,000 to 100,000 to a million followers when they were just, you know, like regular people that, that you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't understand how this is happening and how you're making, you know, six figures off of this. Like, can anyone do this? And you know, what is this whole thing about? So that's kind of what attracted to what, what attracted uh, me to the, to the festival. But uh, we didn't even know who was going to play when we got <laughs> Uh, our tickets they hadn't even announced the lineup and then as things came out it was announced that the good music family would be there and so then you're like oh kanye might show yeah, so that, up so that's, like, that means be cool that's code for someone on kanye's label but we don't we don't know who right it's just someone yeah yeah but you never know i mean they no. could i mean like when you look at that video you see all of those models you see like Kendall Jenner posting about it you're like well Kendall Jenner and Con like their, their family, family yeah. and yeah. like you know in, in our minds it's like oh Taylor Swift's gonna drop by and The Rock will hang out and like this is gonna be the coolest thing ever you know <laughs> and so at this point no one knew you were kind of an anonymous figure at that point like no one knew who William uh was that was just like a, a an unknown character that you were like kind of using as a at that point that no, no one, no one knew who you were as William. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, locally, I think there, there had been some stories and stuff of, you know, it, it wasn't, it was like a loosely kept secret. And okay. somebody said, are you the guy that did? Yeah, I do that. You know, uh, I hope you like it, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't, you know, um, uh, really out there that much. Got it. And so let's, let's run through this, this headlining lineup. We had someone from Kanye's label blink one eighty two. Major Laser, who actually uh, appeared, uh, the guy from Major Laser was in the documentary, which was a, a bit mm-hmm. of a surprise. Uh, Disclosure, who I could rant about, but I'm going to save everyone from that. Migos, which seems really random. I don't know why they would be there. Uh, and someone named Lil Yachty, which I'm convinced is not a real name, but uh, is really just kudos to that guy for picking that name. But I really wanted to highlight something that the documentaries didn't cover, which was like the bottom of the ticket. So this is the stuff that uh, dance music nerds like myself get very excited about, right? These are the DJs who are playing dance music. So this is a real thing. The Fire Festival was supposed to have what was called the Pirate's Cove EDM stage. And that mm-hmm. was to feature uh, Claptone, Lee Burridge, and Ten Snake, who are all actually like, you know, I, I'd, I'd be down with that. That's, that's pretty cool. But I don't think I could bring myself to hang out at the Pirate's Cove uh, stage. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was a little skeptical when I saw, saw that myself, but um, you know, when when you got there, like, did you have any awareness of any of the artists? Like, I know Blink One Eighty Two pulled out at the last minute. Like, 
did any of them go there? Like, did you get get wind that anyone was dropping off before you got there? No, the only one we saw was Blink-182. And, and, you know, they had announced the lineup through, you know, like I said, we got our tickets late December. And mm-hmm. then um, over the next few months, they'd leak a little bit. And then they finally announced the full lineup. And I'm looking over it. I'm like, I don't know who the majority of these people are, but I'm not really going for this music festival plus there was a million dollar treasure hunt that i was convinced i was going (laughs) to win because everyone else was going to be like instagramming until they had carpal tunnel and i was going to be off like figuring this thing out so i was going to make a million dollars off of it and um so we get there we get to the airport and we see a tweet that blink 182 posted saying that uh, they couldn't uh attend because the festival was not going to provide them with the um, you know, experience they needed or something like that. And it was kind of vague. It wasn't like, this is a shit show, don't go. Mm. Um, so I uh, I just kind of looked at it and didn't think too much of it because we were literally walking onto the plane. And uh, we got on the plane and um, we, uh, you know, we went and and then found found out what fire festival was all about <laughs> so you know you, you talked about the treasure hunt and i they didn't really go into the treasure hunt in the documentaries i could have used like a, a little bit of uh treasure hunt uh <laughs> like, like footage i could have used whatever the planning was for that um I'm sure oh yeah we like, got clues and stuff like and then the treasure hunt changed from being a million dollars to you would own a piece of the island oh my and, god you know so and and was this was, was this happening when it was supposed to be on Norman's Key or was this after they had moved it to Exuma? We never really like in the documentary it explains that well, but we just we never knew about all of this like island hopping that was going on. We always thought it was going to be in this private island. Got it. Not that that like really mattered, but that's just what it was in the video advertised as, mm-hmm. and 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 they they point out in the in the film. They had just like cropped off the, yeah. the other section of the land on the map, and and so it looks like an island. But yep. um, but yeah. Uh, so so we you thought talk, we were going to be so somewhere. with with the treasure hunt. It sounds like you were. I mean, you were there. You weren't there to party so much. Like you were in there to kind of like do the influencer thing for your persona, and then you know win a million dollars or a part of an island or whatever. So like you weren't there like doing tequila shots and everything. And when I was, when I, yeah. or maybe you were, but you know, you can talk about that nah. next. But uh, one of the things that was crazy was I, you know, I think I tuned in to your Twitter feed while you were locked in the airport, and I kind of caught up through there. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, like everyone else there, their phone batteries must be dead by now. Um, and this guy is like just powering through it like a champ. Like, what did you pack for this trip? Like, it, it seems <laughs> like it seems like everyone yeah. else was going there for like a cookout and like a party. And a bunch of the packed like a bunch of tank tops and, and liquor, but like I get the impression that you brought like matchsticks and like a tent and all this stuff. Like, walk me through like your packing list for this. Yeah. So, leading up to it, um, we we kept getting these kind of vague details. Like, this is a cashless event. You know, you everything is on your fire band, and now it's a chance to unplug. Like, leave your laptop at home, and then it's like we'll have charging stations and i'm like look if the whole purpose of me going down here is to document it like i have to have um, an outlet so i bought one of those battery chargers that does like a like five cycles worth of battery in one charger and then um i had another like 
three smaller chargers that I don't know how big they were, but you know, they, they kind of like you get like a trade show or something. Um, and so I actually, my buddy, his, his girlfriend had a ton of them. He's like, Hey, you think we'll need these? So we don't have to like sit there and plug our phone into the charging station. And I was like, yes, please give me <laughs> as many as possible. That's awesome. But three of those. And then like the five worth five batteries worth of, of extra charger and that other one. And I started with those three and like burned through those pretty quick. And then was using that other, uh, charger. And, you know, I got on the Island at about six o'clock on Thursday and we got back to Miami by 11 in the morning the next day. And by that time I, my battery had died. So that was like probably seven or eight charges worth Man. in less than 24 hours. Were there any other crazy supplies you had, or was it really just like the phone? Like you didn't bring like dehydrated food products and, and things like no, that. Like, no, you know, we thought we thought you know with our 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 luxury you know, VIP artist pass, the reason we bought that was because it had everything included: hmm. your drinks, your food, your backstage, your exclusive access, and all this. Because you know we signed up for this and we thought it was a thousand dollars, and then things started getting added and it's like, <laughs> do you want the cabana for 50,000? Do you want that? I'm like, Whoa, yeah. we might be out of my league here. Uh, if we get to this thing and it's like, Oh, you'd like a beer. It's $300. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, if we have this pass and it includes everything, we can at least like, no, put a limit on, on our expenses here. And so we bought these, these artist pass that were like $2,700. Um, and so we thought, all right, well, we're good. And we even emailed the guy because uh, at one point they said, you know, it's time to put money on your wristband. We recommend three to $500 for each day that you're there. And I emailed him. And I'm like, dude, I have this VIP. I've got this wristband. Like, what more can I possibly have to buy? And he's like, oh, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry. And so <laughs> yeah. you know, that was reassuring at the time. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was our plan with all that. That's amazing. So, and, and with, so this is my, I got to give credit to my wife on this one. She was like, if they didn't really have internet, like Wi-Fi going on at this event, like could those RFIDs, did they even work? Like, did you even get confirmation after the fact that those things were real or was it just like a piece of plastic that was slapped on a bracelet? I think I heard that they were real, but I don't know that anyone actually used it on the island. Um, I know I didn't use mine and they were, they were very, you know, adamant that you needed to put money on this thing, and you see in the documentary why. Um, but it was like, at one point, put money on it, please. Okay, here, here's a reminder, put some money on it. Okay, you can't go unless you activate it. You activate it by putting money on it. And I was like, Jesus, so I just put $5 on it to yeah. activate it. Um, just because I was like, I'm not going to... If this thing gives me free drinks, free food, and everything... I'm not going to put $800 on this thing to take like a plane ride around the island. Like, so I just activated it and, uh, I'm not sure if it actually worked, but I, I doubt it. So, so now like the costs are starting to add up and I read in Gabby, uh, Bluestone's article. So it was you and three of your buddies, right? Yeah. Okay. So now between all of you guys, it sounds like it came out to about 13,000. Is that right? Um, I mean, my cost was right around 5000 for everything. That's like flight from okay. Raleigh down to Florida and then, um, you know, getting an Uber down to Miami and then the, the whole package and everything. So it was right around 5000 And that was like 
my buddy had actually purchased the lodge part of it. So mm-hmm. he upgraded to VIP for that. And then we bought like the artist pass. So, um, he and I both spent about 5,000. Our friends probably spent like 2000 each. Um, so yeah, maybe around 13, 14,000. Man. So, so you guys, you know, you, you take the plane trip down there. Were you part of the group that, that took the initial detour or did you go straight to the, to the site? We went straight to the site. That, that initial detour group was like the 6.20 in the morning and some of the other earlier flights. Ours left around like 4.30 or 5. Okay. Got there around 6. So you get there um, and there, there are people already there. They've been there for hours, theoretically, right? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and so, so you're, you're in the bus, you drive through the site. Like, what are your, what are the first thoughts you guys have when you see what's, what's happening and what this festival really is? I mean, it was just like stunning to see, uh, you were like, this is three or four months away, right? Like, this is not (laughs) ready. You know, there are shipping containers and restroom and shower trailers and pallets of boxes and mattresses just everywhere and people and, you know, workers just everywhere, um, tents still under construction, a, a decent amount of tents set up. Um, but I, I just kept thinking like, okay, this is not ready, but maybe we came in the back way, or maybe this is like, surely this is not, you know, the, the something is not right here. And I figured, um, we'll, we'll just keep on going and they'll drive up to where our lodge is and it'll be fine. Got and then it. we just kept driving around the corner. We got to that blue house and that's where there's, you know, three or 400 people just kind of in line trying to check in uh, as a stage. It was off in the background blaring music, um, loudly and constantly. <laughs> so, so how long did it take for the switch to flip for you? Like, you know, you're thinking, oh, this doesn't look good. Uh-oh, I got to wait in this line. Uh-oh, there's a lot of stuff that's unprepared. Like, when were you just like, okay, this is not happening, and this is a bad situation, um, and we need to figure out, like, we're on our own out here. Like, when when did when did it stop being a trip for you and start being kind of like a survival-type situation? So for my friend, whose idea it was, uh, as soon as we got out and stood in line, within five minutes, he goes, we're getting off of this island. And I'm like, <laughs> Mark, uh, come on, let's, uh, let's like talk to somebody. Like, I even was gullible and dumb enough that I thought we'd been upgraded to a villa. Mm-hmm. Because when we first checked in and like checked our bag, the guy at the airport gives me a luggage tag and it says villa on it. And I was like, well, we got the lodge. These yeah. villas are like the $50,000 thing. Did they just... Like, messed this up, and I asked him, he's like, no, you're good, it's Villa. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm thinking, like, Mark, we might be in one of these houses. So you were thinking thinking maybe maybe there was a mistake for the better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, because I knew that they had houses somewhere. You know, we had seen the tents on the Instagram. We were like, okay, these are the tents that are, like, 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks. Like, our lodge is somewhere maybe our lodge has been changed into a villa. I don't know. And so I'm like, Mark, let's just talk to him and figure it out. And so that's when, you know, Billy finally stood up on a table and, you, you know, you see in the, in the movie that they were kind of making progress and had a system. And that's kind of went out the window when Billy just stood up on the table and started kind of answering questions from people. Um, 
but I, I just kind of said, Billy, uh, or I didn't even, I, what was I, name? I guess I was like, I think that's the guy, like Billy McFarland. Uh, I didn't really know much about him, but I'm like, hey, where, where do you go if you've got, you know, a lodge or a villa? And he says, uh, he, he just kind of looks up and says, if you have a lodge, just go grab one of those tents and points to that just section of tents next to the blue house. <laughs> and, you know, the dozens and dozens of people around him just sort of ran to the tents. And uh, I was like, well, this isn't going to work. I know these tents are numbered. I know that, that our thing is not one of these tents. This is pointless, but... We just kind of kept walking around, and Mark was like, how am I supposed to find my bag? And um, our other two friends were actually staying in one of those tents, so we thought, well, maybe we'll find their tent and be able to, like, crash, crash there or mm-hmm. figure something out. And so and so, how long, like, so you're scrambling trying to figure out where you guys are going to be. Then when does it click? Okay, now we, there's no place for us. we got to get out of here. Yeah, it was probably, like, uh, we get to the tent and then we, you know, I think maybe probably within like an hour or so, because, mm. um, we just kind of realized there weren't any other, you know, there wasn't something around the corner. There wasn't like another area that we were going to get taken to. It was just, nobody was in charge. And, um, so probably maybe like an hour or so in, and that's when we're calling my, my friend's wife and trying to book a, a, a room. And I was still thinking, hey, let's get an Airbnb, let's get a hotel. We're already here. Go see some music. Uh, you know, let's my, just make a vacation out of it. Yeah. We're going to be down here. Our flights aren't until Monday or Tuesday, so um, let's do that. And then, of course, we found out that everything was booked because the Island Regatta <laughs> was being held, and that's like their biggest event of the year. Yep. That was um, that was an amazing yeah. detail of the documentary that I did, definitely did not know about going into it. Yeah, yeah, we didn't either. And so... Um, so it's like, well, there's no place to stay. Now we got to get off this island. And we had heard things like, you know, um, you know, you just pass people and you hear stuff like the, the flights are canceled in, you know, no more planes are allowed in. And then, um, you know, we're walking around trying to find our luggage and somehow we do. And then my friend um, walks into the blue house somehow, just kind of. I don't know. <laughs> I love, I love how they at. just gave you guys free reign to the house. They were like, yes, go to the house where the people organizing this are. Like, it's it, all that just seems like the worst possible idea. Like, what, why would they have ever sent you there? And then they had no answers, of course, right? So, so yes, go on. You're, yeah. you're storming the castle, yeah? Yeah, that's what my friend did. And, and I'm walking around like, doing a periscope and just trying to take as many pictures as possible because I'm just like, this is insane. And, uh, and he walks in, and, and so he, he comes back out, and then we're – like kind of waiting around for a while and he keeps telling me like I've got us on this list and I talked to this person and she's emailing me and I'm on, we're on this spreadsheet and they said we're going to get off of this time and that time and we're just kind of hanging out there and I walk around again take some more videos and pictures and uh, as I was doing that like all of a sudden my friends find me and they've got my bag and they're like we're going now oh, wow. like we were about to leave you that's amazing and um so, so your blo- your blogging career your blogging career almost got you stranded on Exuma basically. <laughs> it did, yeah. And that was, um, I mean, that was a big hour for yeah. you. There were you had a lot of uh, real big hits, I would say, from that hour you had on the island. So, I don't know, for me, the the event planner's notebook was probably my favorite picture you took. But the uh, uh, there was the abandoned concierge hut. Uh, was that your video you took of Billy trying to direct the crowd? Was that was that yeah. Your? 
Yeah, so a lot of footage uh, that I took is in both. Oop. Seth, are you there? All right, we got some technical difficulties. All right, folks, bear with me. It's the Dance Mega Mix with Don Play on 103.5 FM. We're going to dial back in and keep it going. Uh, we're talking to Seth Crossnow, who uh, was an attendee of the Fire Festival. Oop. All right, there you go. Was an attendee of the Fire Festival, and he's telling his story right here on the Dance Mega Mix with Don Play. 103.5 FM, WCOMLP, Chapel Hill, and Carborough. Thanks for bearing with us. We're uh, we're back here on the Dance Mega Mix. On the line, once again, we have Seth Crossnow talking about the Fire Festival, his role in it, and these two documentaries on Hulu and Netflix. So let's pick it back up where we left off. Seth, you on? Yeah. All right, perfect. So we were talking about uh, what was going on in that hour you were on the island. So you saw some things and uh, documented them very quickly. Um, the lockers that were uh, not secure and did not have uh, padlocks on them. The planner's yeah, notebook. Yeah, everything was just, yeah, just kind of dropped off in the middle of nowhere. Amazon boxes and concierge desks that were set up with nothing to them and food kiosks that didn't have any food or people at them. So it was, um, it wasn't ready yet. What was like the most egregious thing? Like, was there anything there you saw that was just like, like, come on guys. Like what, what was, what was the thing? Like to me, it was the notebook, like seeing that. And I would be like, Oh man, <laughs> but what was yeah, the thing that the notebook probably did it? Just seeing like chips question mark, like, you know, lifesavers. We need four thousand lifesavers. You know, I mean, just this list of of uh, you know looks like a a project for you know fifth graders to work <laughs> on or something. Um, and uh, you know, seeing the documentary, you you learn more about the actual planners. Yeah. So, like, I don't want to knock them because it, it does seem like they really did try, and they just were under some like insane circumstances. Yes. So. Yeah. But that notebook itself is just so funny. Yeah, I don't, I don't really talk about myself too much on the show, but in my, in my non-radio life, I do uh, event planning, and I've done big events, and like the timeline they had for this event was absolutely insane. Like, the, yeah. the location like quadrupled the amount of everything that needed to be done, and they, mm-hmm. they shortchanged themselves on the front of it, and then they were incompetent and doing all this crazy stuff in the back. So it's just, yeah, I, I felt horrible for those guys, and I the whole time I just... I felt like I was one of them when I was watching it. So yeah, that's definitely something yeah. worth checking out in the documentary. So so you got this uh, you have this hour on the island. You get to the airport, and now you get to the airport, and they've they basically quarantined you guys and put a padlock on the door, and you continue to tweet. So like in all this uh, madness, like did you like forge any bonds with the people who were there? Like what kind of folks actually attended? Because like there's a stereotype that it was a bunch of like entitled rich millennials who were there. Like, what kind of people were actually there, like, once the veneer of the party was gone? And, like, like what were those people like? And did you actually, like, meet anyone? Or, like, was there any kind of, a, like, bond that happened because it was such a stressful situation? Uh, I think that, um, I mean, everybody was so kind of tired at, at the point uh, where we were um, kind of in the airport and everything. But, you know, it was a lot of just kind of normal people, you know. Yeah. It, I, I did notice a couple influencers like maybe on our plane there were about 111 people and i i recognized like three or four people that i'd seen before like on instagram but everyone else was 
and those are normal people too. They just happen to like make a living off of posting, you know, on Instagram. And, uh, but everybody was, was pretty much just, it seemed like normal people going on a trip. It really didn't seem like a lot of trust fund kids or anything. And, um, you know, we, I think we were all just so confused and, and didn't know what was going on that, uh, you know, nobody really said much to each other. Hmm. So, um, I didn't really, I mean, there were a, a few people I remember talking to and we're just like, yeah, we don't know either. What have you heard? Or, uh, I think this is the last flight out, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, we yes. all were just kind of like sitting around waiting and, and not knowing like, well, okay, the flight will be here at 11, you know? Okay. Well then the next thing happens, the next thing happens. And it's like by 10 o'clock the next morning, you're still there and you've been on and off the plane three or four times. And, um, all this stuff has happened. You're like, we have no idea when we're actually leaving. So just crazy. Yeah. So, so you, you, you have this horrible experience. You finally make it back to Raleigh. Um, you write a little bit about it, but you say there's more to come. Um, and then the documentary, I'm not going to, you know, I'm in spoiler sort of mode. So, you know, something else happens kind of after the festival that has to do with the festival indirectly. Right. So you mm-hmm. get kind of, you go from being swept up in this, this event scam to then getting these emails that are very sketchy. Uh, and now, you know, all this time later, like no one really got a good handle on what actually happened at the festival because there was so much like shame, I guess I would say is the word about, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the portrayal in the media. So now it's kind of all coming out in these documentaries. And, you know, now at the end of it all, you find yourself in the middle of the streaming wars between Hulu and Netflix. Yeah. So, so this is the third uh, kind of like uh, piece of driftwood that you're floating on in all of this. Like <laughs> what is, what's it been like to be taken now on this, this, this battle that you're kind of just a, a passenger in between Hulu and Netflix. Yeah, it's really strange because I, like, I understand, I love talking about it because to me it's like this insanely, uh, it's just just this insane story that I was a part of. I'm I'm like 15 minutes of fame, that whole thing. But if you want to, you know, I've done, I do interviews all the time about this. I just don't share those with, people on Twitter because I don't like talking. I don't like promoting myself, but mm. if you're from the guardian and you want to talk to about, talk to me about the fire festival, I'll be glad to talk to you. Sure, or like, sure. you know, I, I, I did interviews with every outlet out there and it wasn't like I was, and you know, at the time I'm not profiting off of it. I'm not making any money. I didn't even have the, the podcast set up there. It really was probably kind of a, not the best use of my time, but I'm like, you know, I'm the only person that seems to want to actually help tell the story of what happened because I think the influencers that went who, which, which wasn't a lot of them, uh, it, it's not good for their brand to be mm. associated with it. Like they're supposed to be doing the cool stuff at the infinity pool with the drink, with the umbrella in yeah. it. And like, this makes them look bad if they're like, Oh my God, I went to fire festival. And, and you were basically um, in the opposite and, situation, right? Cause you, you basically ripped the mask off after this all happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think somebody from billboard wrote an article that was like the man behind the tweet. And mm. I was like, who's going to read that? Nobody cares <laughs> who I am. Like, Look at the pictures. You know, I, you notice everybody's like, they always ask, is there a picture of you on the Island? And I'm like, no, I don't, 
why why do you need to see that? That's <laughs> stupid. Look at this yeah. insane stuff around us. That's what you should be paying attention to. And it's funny, there's a another few influencers who license some of their footage and in all the footage it's like the camera's on them and they're like, This is so crazy, blah 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 and it's like man, you're missing out on the story here. The story is in that you had a crappy time. Yep. Uh they turn the camera around. But you know, a lot of people don't talk about it and, and so I'm fine. People email me all the time and a lot of these other projects, um, you know, they'll license your footage. So it's a good way to make uh, make some money. So mm-hmm. I've got a lot of footage and I've licensed it to a lot of different projects. And one of those was a billboard slash cinemart project that was purchased by Hulu and, uh, you know, interviewed with them. They flew me up to New York, did an interview in person, and that's the Hulu documentary. And then the other originally started as a Vice project with director Chris Smith. Uh, the Jerry Media guys got on board. The Matt Productions guys, those were the people that filmed the epic commercial. Uh, so they provided footage, and, and that's what I think made the Netflix one so good. Um, and then I think by that time, it did get to a point where people were willing to talk with Chris Smith about it because he is such a good director, such a respected person. Um, they knew that he wasn't going to kind of like make fun of these people and um, and that was one of the things when I, I started the podcast or started recording for it, I was talking to different folks and they were saying like, Oh, I know Andy King, but he doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. And he's the guy that has the, yeah, the, the epic the, water story. And, yeah. and uh, he, he's the main event uh, planner basically for yeah, the story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sympathize um, with him deeply. That was, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, but I had heard stories of some event planners who, had gone on to do other things and someone said, Oh wait, you were involved in fire. And then they got removed from that project. Oh, yeah. So it, it was a big like stain on their, oh, yeah. on their resume. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people didn't want to talk about it and why it took almost two years for these, these things to come out. But I'm glad that they did. And you can kind of see a lot more of what went on and, um, and there's still so much more to the story which is why I'm doing this podcast um, because, you know, the notebook is something you could talk about for an hour, like the, the wristbands and that whole thing and Billy's other frauds with magnesis and yep. NYC VIP access. Like it's tough to, to cover all that in a 90 to a hundred minute film. For sure. For sure. So, you know, how did you feel? Cause when I saw that, uh, that Billy was interviewed in the, in the Hulu doc and he got paid for it. That was when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm out on the Hulu one. I'm not going to watch it. Cause like, I, mm-hmm. I know like I, having done these events, like I knew everyone got stiffed on this, like not just the people who went, but especially the suppliers who they use to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to buy all these, uh, goods and services. Like I, I just knew it was bad. And for this guy to get the money, you know, I felt like, uh, I was going to step away. Did, did having watched both of them, like, do you have a preference between the two? I like the Netflix one better, um, and and when I interviewed with the the Hulu project, I did not know that Billy was paid. Mm. I knew that they had an exclusive interview with Billy that was eight hours of footage, and I thought I'm fine being in a documentary with the guy. But when I found out he was paid at, way after the fact, I was like, that's kind of I'm not really okay with this yeah. and uh i don't know the amount but it's still it went into his pocket it didn't yeah. go to the victims and he originally had a deal um with the netflix project uh where 12 percent of his of the of the 
profits or something would go to paying back the victims, mm-hmm. which is extremely generous. It's like, Billy, you have a chance for somebody to basically give you free money that you can use to uh, pay off your debt and um, yeah, make, and right. make this right, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and he, that wasn't good enough. The 12% to charity or not to charity, but to, to the people and, um, you know, the contractors wasn't good enough for Billy. He had to go try to shop the deal to Hulu and then play them against each other yeah. and then go back and forth asking for 250000 then 150 then 125 And I don't know what he settled on, but yeah. they paid him yeah. an amount. And, um, you know, that's just kind of... That's just business. I don't know, shady. Yeah. And uh, then on top of it, if you watch the Hulu doc, he doesn't say anything. He, you know, he doesn't admit anything. He just kind of stares at the ground sometimes. Yeah. And the interview is pretty worthless. Um, Well, you get what you pay for, I guess. Um, Yeah. Or not. Um, So at the 11th hour, it sounds like you got a frantic message from Hulu. Did they really threaten to can you from the documentary, like at the last minute, if you appear in the Netflix one? Yeah, it wasn't even like a threat. I just got a call. You know, I was quiet about everything because you're supposed to not talk about your involvement. And uh, I I had heard at the point that the Netflix teaser got dropped, you know, you're allowed to say you're in this. And so people, I I, I think I maybe shared the trailer and then people would say, oh, are you in this? Mm. And I would just say, yeah, it's going to be lit. And so (laughs) I got a call from somebody on the Hulu project that was high up and they said, Hi, are you involved in the Netflix project? Someone saw your social media and said that that you said you were. And I said, yeah. And I said, what'd you do? I, said, I interviewed and licensed footage, just like I did with your project. And they went, okay. Interesting. Said, Is that all? And they said, uh, yeah, we are going to be uh, removing you from our project probably because we want it to be different than the Netflix one. And I was like, okay, that's fine with me. You know, no no problem. So weird. And uh, so it was a surprise that I was in the Hulu one. Yeah. I, I was uh, actually on the flight. We were about to take off from Raleigh to go up to New York for the screening of the Netflix one. And my phone, uh, it was a retweet by Hulu. I'm like, why are they retweeting me? And um, then five minutes later, it was like, fire fraud is now live. Check it go. out. Yeah. I was like, oh, boy. So you called their bluff. What's that? You called their bluff, I guess, in the end. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what what monetary value it had. I downloaded it and and watched it, and I was in it, and, uh, you know, it was was fine, but... uh, So let's let's get to, like, so after the dust settles now, right? So, you know, the the event's over. uh, You know, obviously things are not the same for you. Um, but also for the people on the island. So we talked about the vendors and things who got stiffed. Um, what, what's, I know right now there's a lot of uh, people feel like they want to do something. What's, what's going on with that? Like, wh- how can people uh, help the situation or make it better with, um, with so, the vendors? Yeah, I think the, the Netflix film did a great job of actually interviewing those that were impacted, and they told a really powerful story of uh, Marianne um, Roll, who was a... Um, I guess, restaurant owner, caterer down there who'd been feeding all of the people working on the festival and was also supposed to be feeding, I think, the festival attendees as well. And they obviously never paid her. And then she dipped into like $50,000 of her own savings. And she was just, I mean, it's like 
it's very emotional watching it because you can see she's like, I don't even like talking about this. I don't want it. I don't want to talk about fire anymore. I'm just, I wish they never would have been here because they talk about how Billy and fire had uh, fire festival had promised the, the uh, government that they'd be there for five years and they'd build all this infrastructure and this would be this huge thing. And um, so they were really betting or believing that, this was going to be a big economic driver for yeah. for um, their community, and then it wasn't. And so, uh, so uh, the director, Chris Smith, actually helped Marianne set up a GoFundMe, and he had told me about it a couple of days before the film. And um, when we screened it, I noticed at the end of the film, it says, you know, Seth Crossno was awarded $5 million, um, a $5 million settlement. And I remember, you know, sending them that text to use and just totally forgetting that I should have said something like, which they're still collecting. Yeah. Because at the <laughs> after hypothetical party, money, like five right? people came up and they were like, um, congrats on this, but have you given any back to the, yeah. to the people? And I was like, listen, I haven't gotten a cent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like as soon as I do, I'd be glad to donate. I'd be glad to even help like set up a GoFundMe. I've talked with people, in the past about this and the, the biggest problem was how do you get the money to the right people? So fortunately, Chris worked with Marianne, set up the GoFundMe. He told me about it a few days beforehand and I said, okay, I'll wait till Friday to make it live. I put it on the Dumpster Fire podcast website, put it in all of my um, like bios, put the link in, link as many places as I could. And, um, you know, fortunately the tweet I posted got a lot of retweets and views and, and whatnot. And then Gabby sharing it got even more cause she was an executive producer and she's, she was with vice and everything. So, um, just kind of sharing that. And then when people would come, I, I think, uh, obviously the story got picked up, yeah. but she got over $180,000. Um, her goal was 123,000. And, and as of a, you know, a couple hours ago, it was, it was well past that. So that was great to see. And then another one started, I think, yesterday uh, to help just the other workers in the community yeah. for about four hundred thousand. Yeah. I think that one's at around like like eight thousand right now. But um, that's amazing. Yeah, anything we can do to to help continue to like well, that's spread that, retweet it, share it. That's really um, good news and and good for everyone uh, who is donating to that because I I know. I know the struggle of those suppliers and what they go through from my, my other previous work life. But what's interesting about this, well, two things. Right, so you mentioned the settlement. So you have this you have this uh, suit actually filed here in North Carolina, right? So mm-hmm. um, you were awarded $5 million in, in damages. Uh, but, of course, that's hypothetical money um, that Billy yeah. McFarland may or may not have. Does him getting paid for the Hulu doc help you in a weird way? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it would, but I've heard – some stories about where that money went and it's uh not not to your legal fund it's a couple plane rides away and okay. maybe in a in a buried uh <laughs> treasure chest somewhere that, that million dollar island. yeah but, that, uh, that million dollar treasure hunt might happen yeah um so yeah there's a lot of wild stories around billy and money and mm-hmm. um i don't know that we'll ever be able to track those down because I've talked to a lot of people that worked with him and you just hear crazy stuff about like him hiding $2 million in cash in a jacket allegedly. And like, it's just all these wild stories They and they may be just rumors, but um, 
I don't know, you know, the, the government said he had about, I think, $1 or $2 million in assets. He's required to pay back $27 million to investors before anyone else. So um, then the other day I saw he had to pay back another, like, $158,000 um, to the people he scammed in, um, in the other scam. So um, I, it'll take a while if it happens you know, at all. Stacy Miller was my attorney and he's got a strategy for it all. But I just keep telling people like, I don't have $5 million. <laughs> yeah, please, uh, please stop the emails and, and the can and the, the, the picketing outside the door. It's not, it's not helping Raleigh. You gotta, gotta yeah. That. So that's, that's great news. We're all, we're all rooting for you there, but it sounds like there's an outside, outside chance. You actually might be the person who could make all of this really right by making good on the fire festival's premise. Could you go into the trademark situation and, and what's what's the story with the trademark? So in doing research for this podcast, I wanted to make sure that the that I wasn't actually uh, infringing on the trademark. And so I have a, a copyright attorney um, that was that was looking into it and she goes, Oh, well, the Fire Festival trademark expires in about a month. Hmm. And I said, Well, what if what does that mean? Is can I just buy it or apply for it and she's like well yeah it'll expire and i doubt they'll renew it because they just filed for bankruptcy so you could just file it in the same classes and and then you know you'd have to use it which would mean you'd have to put on an event and you'd have to sell merchandise and stuff and i said so if i buy this if i file this application i can tell everyone that i own fire festival and she's like uh yeah pretty much and i was like well this is the best joke i've ever heard so please do this. And so I, we filed it and I thought it was a done deal. And, um, apparently the USPTO in reviewing it flagged it for something. And it wasn't even that they flagged it because it was related to fire festival. It was like a, a previous thing. And so, uh, we disputed that and it's still in the, I guess, process. But the whole point was if I have the trademark, Let's throw a fire festival. Let's let's be as transparent about it as possible. Let's serve cheese sandwiches. Yes, it's not an overnight thing. Yes, it's a one night thing. Yes. Maybe we have it in Dick's Park in Raleigh, or maybe we have it through these people I've met. Like we could have it in Central Park. You know, like the name recognition alone of this thing, uh, it's going to get uh, a lot of attention. And I thought let's do a, a fundraiser and raise some money for, for the people that were actually impacted by it. So, um, well, I'll tell you why these other fundraisers are going on, but, but my idea to really throw one hopefully can happen at some point, but it's, it'll, it might be a while. Oh, I think once you throw the small ones, I think when you're ready, we graduate and we, we do it for real. We go to, we go back to Exuma, right? And I say yeah. we, as if I've been there, I've watched the documentary. So it's, it's basically like I've been there. We get, yeah. fif- we get 50 cent, on the on the headlining, because uh. you know he and Ja Rule really don't see eye to eye on anything. We get every That's famous true. Bahamian person. We get the Baja men to perform. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> we get DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns and Buddy Heald of the Sacramento Kings and and whoever else. Maybe Maroon Five because they just they are playing everywhere these days and um, yeah. some people seem to like them. But they could be like the Blink One Eighty Two of this version, and yeah. um, and maybe it's for the people of the Bahamas. And yeah. uh, the people who, who run it get paid. I mean, that would be amazing uh, for them to yeah. all <laughs> have, a, have a happy ending to all of this. So 
Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. my dream for the fire festival, and I really hope you do get that that patent so that uh, we can make it make it happen someday. And if it starts in, in Dick's Park in Raleigh, I mean, yeah, well, I'll be there. Yeah. So, if not, we can maybe call it just the dumpster fire festival. That'd be tremendous. So, not get sued, so, so before we sign off, Seth, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people find you uh, online, uh, your podcast, and your website? So the the Raleigh stuff is itbinsider.com and then um itb insider is on instagram and twitter and facebook and then wnfiv is uh william Needham finley the fourth on instagram facebook and twitter and then i just got the dumpsterfirepodcast.com website up and that's f-y-r-e um, and that's up and that has social media accounts like dumpster fire pod, dumpster fire podcast, and, uh, trying to get the first test trailer up into iTunes so we can, you know, be on all the platforms and everything. And, and hopefully we'll get, you know, the first episode up in the next couple of weeks. It's just so much stuff happens. And, uh, you know, you get the director of the film going, I might be able to give you audio from like 50 interviews I did. And you're like, wow, that would yeah. be amazing. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, that's where you can find. I think that's. Oh yeah, we also have dogs of ITB. If you just like dog pictures on Instagram. Yeah, everyone. Everyone likes dogs. So get on that, everyone. Well, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Seth. This was amazing. Um, thank you for taking the time, and congratulations on both the documentaries uh, and your success with the website. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having All me. Right, thanks. Take care.